You hear other podcasts, they're like, oh, how are you? Tell me about yourself. And I'm just like, <laughs> ease it in nice and easily. Right. Thing. But, so, uh, it's been, yeah. so, so, Barry, thanks for coming on. I pre- Absolutely. Happy to do it. I have. I've been, uh, um, when you could have, uh, kind of, uh, got in touch and said you wanted to go to the show, I did a little bit of digging on him. I did a little bit of digging. I did a little bit of detective work on you, Barry. I love doing that with my guests sometimes. I feel as if I'm like some sort of like, Inspector Clouseau or something like that. <laughs> Scottish version of it. Scottish version. As uh, it keeps yeah. keeps me out of trouble. That's the that's uh, one way of putting it. But uh, I did. I, I tell you what, I, I found a lot a lot of stuff about you, buddy. I don't know what's going on with that. I I was a very shy little boy, and then now I really was until I was about ten years old, and at ten years old, I bugged my parents to take me to a carnival. In the nearby town, when when they had at the time what were unfortunately called freak shows, and I really wanted to see a freak show, and my parents said, "Here's the money. I think it was seventy five cents, but uh, we're not going with you." So I I paid my money, I went in, and for some inexplicable reason, a magician was there in between the freaks, and he asked for a volunteer. And for some strange reason, I said, I raised my hand. I was 10 years old. I went up on stage, and I realized that when he was doing these goofy magic tricks, pulling a a quarter out of my ear, people thought it was great. I didn't have to do much of anything, and I could be popular. And that really was the way in which I started thinking, maybe if I wasn't so shy, Maybe people would like me more. <laughs> and it was a very important part of uh, my life. I found that a lot of people you meet early in life are the same people you meet again later in life. And if you're good to them or you learn something from them, it carries on into your future. It's an interesting concept. Have you ever came across people like that? Have you ever seen like people later on down the roads that are possibly horrible to you or really kind of bad for you and you just went yeah what are you doing now buddy what are you up to <laughs> yeah it, it ha- i've actually gone to a couple of high school reunions i went to high school with 1100 other students a huge high school in pennsylvania and uh when i'd go back there people would occasionally come up and go you know i i hated what you were against the vietnam war but you were right and i was wrong and then most recently, uh, there's an anti-abortion movement that's very strong in the United States. And one of its leaders was a, a minister named Rob Schenk. And I used to see him every time. We were on television a lot. I used to see him outside the Supreme Court building. And he would always be on the opposite side, anti-LGBTQ, anti-church-state separation, anti-abortion and reproductive justice. Right. A few months ago, I was interviewing him on a show, a radio show, and people can go to barrywln.com and look at it. And in it, he apologizes for everything he did. And he, he said that he should have listened to me 30 years ago 
that I was mainly right and he was mainly wrong. Now, it takes a big person to repudiate yourself after you've been in a leader of a mass movement, a celebrity, he lost a lot of his right-wing friends, but he gained a lot of respect from a whole lot of people. I could that's see the, he's changed his mind so like so much. So he went from one extreme to the other. Was uh, was there something that happened to make him change his mind? I think he was once in prison. He was in prison. A D.C. jail, not really a prison, and the District of Columbia has this hor horrible jail. And he was in the jail because of some anti-abortion protest he was doing. And down the hall from him in another cell was an African-American woman who was, she had three kids. She was pregnant, and she was screaming in the night about how she needed to get an abortion. And he started talking to her. Sometimes those initial connections are very important and they do have a, an astonishing effect on, on changing your mind. And I think that woman probably led him to start to repudiate all of his, uh, virtually all of his past uh, positions and experiences. That takes guts. It does. That's powerful though, isn't it? Something... It must have been really hard for him to change his complete belief system altogether. I'd be fair, you mentioned it as well. You said, yeah, he's, he turned his back on it and he completely 180'd on the whole scenario. So, yeah, and he openly admits it. Don't get many people in this world that can admit that as well. So, fair play to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I was supposed to actually see him uh, a couple of days ago, but um, he got COVID. We, we're getting COVID again over here. And uh, so he, they had to cancel the whole event. But um, he, I moved to Massachusetts out of the District of Columbia about a year ago. So I gained from uh, leaving D.C., I gained uh, two senators, you know, at our upper house here. D.C. has no representation in the United States Senate and isn't likely to get one. I gained a backyard, lovely backyard, which I didn't have in the District of Columbia, and I'm 10-minute walk from three grandkids. That's kind of a trifecta of reasons to get out of D.C. That and the fact that D.C. is such a weird place. I spent most of my adult life there. I did all kinds of things. I met a whole lot of members of Congress and other political figures, but I really have been always most attracted to people on the edges, not the people in power. I, you know, I like Bill Clinton most of the time, but it's the people that are working against government injustices that I find most appealing. Somebody asked me when I was doing a radio show with ultra-conservative Pat Buchanan for a couple of years, uh, Pat said, well, you know, why uh, why didn't you ever work for a president? And I said, kind of in jest, I never met one moral enough to meet my standards. But the truth is, it's that I'd much rather be on the out. I'd much rather be helping the Vietnam veteran who was um, given an undesirable discharge from the military for doing something just that pissed off uh, his commanding officer. 
And I did that, and I worked with members of Congress a lot. But I, it's very rare in the United States to find people who have a spine that's strong enough to go after the most unpopular issues, including amnesty for those who did not want to go to Vietnam, who resisted it. We got kind of a partial victory on that when Jimmy Carter was president of the United States. And then uh, in the second phase of my life, I, I worked for the American Civil Liberties Union. And this was at a time when the, um, the big issue facing the country, according to the Reagan people, was um, pornography. That was going to destroy America. And uh, so I really lobbied hard at the ACLU to be the guy that would follow them around the country. They had an 11-member commission. They went all over the country. They seemed to think that if you found the most disgusting single piece of sexual material, that would justify suppressing all of it for everyone. And I really annoyed the hell out of them. The Washington Post, which is you know still a major newspaper in the United States, did a piece at the end of the commission's life, and they asked, well, what, what was the biggest problem you had? And they said it was Barry Lynn because he would ridicule us unmercifully. And I, and I did a, a speech about this in Indiana a couple of weeks ago, and I said, it's not that all I did was quote them, and people said, we can't believe a government body is actually doing this. In the event, in both of those cases, um, the draft, which I, I really hate, and some conservatives hate it, and I used to work with them, their theory was if you don't like to pay taxes, you sure as hell aren't going to want them to take your son and put him in some war you've never heard of. So there was, it was an interesting combo. They returned registration for the draft uh, after Carter changed his mind, President Carter changed his mind. They only prosecuted 18 people for not registering during that period after the Vietnam War was over. And I think a couple things were happening. One is um, people just didn't take it seriously enough. They thought it was crazy. They thought that and, and even the head of the draft system in the United States, who I used to fight with all the time, two years ago gave an address and said the whole registration system doesn't work. It would be useless in the event of an emergency, repudiating, again, most of his uh, beliefs in the past. On the pornography front, there hasn't been a serious uh, pornography uh, prosecution in the United States for almost 20 years. And there, I think the other thing that's happened, you know, porn, everybody can watch it anywhere. You can watch it on your phone, your television. And I would, I, but I wouldn't know that. Kyle, you wouldn't know. No, I wouldn't know too. No, because I you can tell that uh, <laughs> I can tell. You only like Spider Man. Yeah, but uh, no, but I like Spider Man. I've got a reputation here, buddy. <laughs> Can I see that I'm just sort of weird, but like Spider Man, dude. Come on, absolutely. Um, the, uh, but because people on these juries here, they would get on the jury and then they'd want to seize everybody's, uh, uh, if they sold one pornographic magazine or one videotape, 
then they want to seize all their assets, seize their house, seize their business. And I think the average person was going, wait a minute, uh, this is Debbie Does Dallas 14. I just saw Debbie Does Dallas 13 while I was watching it with my husband or wife uh, a couple weeks ago. You just can't convince people that it is the end of the world to see naked bodies. It's a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it is good. I was, um, I was following the, this uh, commission, which is known here as the Ed Meese Commission. Ed Meese was the attorney general. And he appointed, he appointed a, a prosecutor, a very rigorous prosecutor of, of uh, sexually explicit material as the chairman. And one day they went down to uh, Houston, Texas, and they were going on a field trip and governments here have to report everything that they're going to do. They have to give notice. So I called a friend of mine who was a, a feminist uh, nonfiction writer at a university in New York who hated everything that they, these people were doing. And so the two of us went on a bus with all these commissioners. And the last place was, it was a really dull it's an ugly place. It, I mean, it was how ugly. I mean, it stank and water was running over the floor. And But I ended up in a buddy booth. Now you wouldn't know what that is. But a buddy booth is, of course, where two or three people get together, watch a little porn loop. They put a quarter in or a token in. They watch five minutes. So I'm in the buddy booth with... Henry Hudson, the chairman, and Ellen Levine, a wonderful woman who uh, was at the time the editor of Woman's Day magazine, and she was already souring on the stupid things they were doing. So Henry Hudson says to me, Barry, when you testified before our commission, you said all of these images contain messages. What is the message here? I thought for a second. I looked at him. I said, Henry, try it. You might like it. It was two gay men wearing green monster masks having sex. Jesus but, I mean, yeah, see, that's... And people go, but you're a minister. How can you be a minister and care about pornography? It's because I can tell the difference between morality and legality. And if... Look, I saw more porn during that year that they were in effect than I've ever seen in my life. And, but, and is some of it really ugly? Yes. Is some of it kind of a turn on? Yes. I defy anyone, male or female, to say they've never seen porn that doesn't turn them on. And I said that once on national public radio here. And even one of my colleagues, another lawyer at the ACLU said, came up to me, said, I heard you on the news this morning. Why did you say that some porn turns you on? And I said, because I am an honest man. Because no, <laughs> because you have to be, you have to, what are you going to do? Lie about everything? And then 25 years, uh, uh, I spent a number of years with the ACLU and then um, had a, a somewhat uh, unfortunate uh, year and a half at Dartmouth University, Dartmouth College, which is supposedly a great university here in America, but it's it's not. 
support hard. I could tell by your description of <laughs> I don't think it is. But and then and then I got offered this job with Americans United for separation of church and state, which is kind of a dream job. I only take dream jobs. This was to maintain a decent distance between religious institutions and government institutions. At the time that I was there, and I was there for 25 years, it was people like the Reverend Jerry Folwell, the Reverend Pat Robertson, and um, Phyllis Schlafly, the so-called, well, she's not a feminist, but she thought she was. And I would debate these people all the time. And they remain, all three of them are dead, but this movement remains the most dangerous current in American life still today. Yeah, and, I, so. I mean, it's just, they believe in something called Christian nationalism. This is the idea that there's a, sep a kind of special relationship between God and the United States. And then they believe that everything in the Bible that's mentioned as policy ought to be the law of the United States. That's pretty dangerous stuff. Yeah. And they, they also believe that they are speaking and are directly being told by God what to do and what to say. I'm a God believer, but I don't think he's talking to everybody about their political judgments and who they ought to vote for in the next election. He's not got time, is he? You know, he's, there's a lot of people in this world. I don't think he's got time to sit down and have a chat with everyone. Yeah. Probably not. I mean, it's it may be nice if, you know... I mean, every once in a while... I don't know if you, you get this, but um, you get these invitations, like, uh, send $10. You might win a telephone call from Donald Trump. You might... You know, I'm sure maybe somebody gets that, those. It's going to be like, ten, you, get, you get, spend $10 and you get a, a telephone call from God, and then you actually <laughs> win, and then you get some random guy you just on the phone, oh, no. oh, this is the voice of With God. God. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so some, guy, some people probably believe it. Go, oh, my God. God, is that you? Oh, my God. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I've been talking to you for months and years and been praying <laughs> for you. And it wouldn't... Yeah, it, I mean... It would be less annoying, though, to get those than than uh, harangues from people trying to sell you something. Do you think all these like, sort of like uh, Christian kind of groups you mentioned before, do you think they're um, heavily involved in, well, everything, really? Do you think they've still got fingers in pies in there? No, absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, as we're about to do this discussion, we're trying to figure out in the House of Representatives who ought to be the Speaker of the House. And uh, the, the the person that, that seems to be on the ascendancy is a guy named Jim Jordan. He's been accused by many, many of the wrestlers that he coached at an Ohio university of missing the opportunity, deliberately not watching them being sexually assaulted by the physician for the team. So now here is a guy, you know, I was talking to my son last night, and he said, well, wasn't there another Speaker of the House who had to quit because he was himself involved in abuse of children? A guy named Dennis Hastert. I said, yep, you got a good memory. Jesus. Hypocrisy, 
you know, whatever you think about abortion, anything else, the one thing that the Bible's very clear about, don't be a hypocrite. Do not be a hypocrite. And if you're a hypocrite, that's a no-no. That There's no question about that. This other stuff, um, think about it, come up with an idea, and then try to make something out of it. But do not, do not criticize people for these petty little things or these very serious things like choosing to have a, a child. Um, that's yours. My father was a very conservative con- uh, Republican until they started to get into the abortion question. He said, you know, I can't be a Republican anymore because this is a moral issue. And that's what even the Baptist Church in the United States used to think, that it was a moral question. Do you have an abortion? Do you not have an abortion? But now it's become so politicized that it is the central issue dominating almost all of the election campaigns at every level here in the United States. And it's split, everybody's split down the middle, but it gets violent at times as well because it's a very vocal. Everyone's got their own opinion, but I tell you what, they're not scared to share it either, are they? Especially in the US. Not like the US being quiet. People in America are being quieter. They're, they're the quietest people ever, aren't they? Aren't, absolutely. Yeah. You know, every, every time you turn on the TV, I mean, I'm across the pond in the UK. Sure. Um, we've got our own fucking issues over here anyway. But it is all the time when you see on uh, the news over here, it's obviously about politics. And the, the abortion question is always coming up every couple of weeks. It's an ongoing issue. So it's, it must be horrendous trying to kind of justify, not justify it, but actually kind of get to our own reasoning over there. I mean, you're living there, aren't you? Yeah, it's really, um, you have to be, you have to be careful if you're a careful person. I stopped being a careful person when I was in college. I mean, literally, I went from this, you know, as I explained at the beginning, this very shy, kind of ultra-cautious person into somebody who said, if you stand for something, you better speak it out. You better do it. I had so many people that worked with me in organizations I worked for who would say, I just, I had this terrible experience. Some congressman called me some bad name. What do I do? And you say, never, ever give up. You cannot give up. You can't give up on censorship. You can't give up on trying to find a peaceful resolution. You can't give up on keeping a decent distance between religion and government. Those are the standards by which, um, you know, I made uh, my career and eventually wrote my book, Paid to Piss People Off. That's an interesting title, you might say. I, a high school is probably the, the best title <laughs> for a book I've had a long time. Well, it's a, a, a high school student came up to me at a party when we lived in uh, suburban Washington. He came up. I... It, met him before. He said, Mr. Lynn, I want to do what you do when I get out of school. I said, Connor, what do you think I do? He said, I think you get paid to piss people off. <laughs> and that became a wonderful title. And I sent him the book and uh, he's still a friend. But uh, it says three, three books, is it? You've got going on at the minute? 
Yeah, it's a trilogy. I was going to call it The Fellowship of the Rings till somebody told me that some other guy had written that trilogy. So can talk about it again. Yeah, he always makes the good ideas, doesn't he? <laughs> he always, and it, but it's um, it's three books. One's about peace, one's about porn and censorship, and one's about prayer. Because I did work for 25 years uh, at Americans United for Separation of Church and State, and I turned it was kind of a sleepy organization. I turned it into a much uh, bigger and more significant organization, and you know, retired a few years ago, and. Um, the woman who's taken my place is doing a very good job because so many of these issues now are at the cusp of LGBT issues, yeah, reproductive justice issues. It's not just prayer in school and uh, funding you know, religious schools with tax dollars. Those were the mainstays when the organization was founded. Same year I was born, 1948. I'm an old guy. Getting on a bit, mate. Getting on a bit. Yeah. Looking good, though. Hey, thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. That's, That's why I said it. He's fishing for it. He's fishing for it. And so, you know what? I I saw it and I gave it to you, mate, because I'm, I'm like that. I saw it straight away. I love it. But yeah. I think this is where, when it comes down to this, the, the, you're talking about different sort of like kind of avenues of politics over there now. I don't know if you mentioned, I saw a video a couple of days ago with Trump and his new sort of. Um, I don't know, his things that he's going to do, his key points that he's going to do. He's kind of changing things up if he gets into power next year. Do you think, uh, think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, I think, you know, my personal view is I hope Donald Trump is the nominee of the Republican Party because I don't think any, I mean, I know some of these other people that are running and they're no better than he is. They may be more polite. They may not speak so drastically. Yeah. But, but their policies are the same. They're going to be pro-war, notwithstanding that some of them now aren't really sure what we ought to be doing in Ukraine or even in Israel. But, um, you know, they... In the old days, when I first started to work as a lobbyist in Congress, um, which is not a dirty word as long as you're lobbying for the right things... Um, People, Democrats and Republicans, because they stayed in Washington longer, they tended to move their families here. And then their kids would go to the same elementary school. And then they'd meet them there. And they just couldn't be as hostile as these nitwits are now. It's so brutal. I mean, it really is brutal. And you're t we're talking about uh, people on the Supreme Court of the United States who are terrible. They're terrible people, and I don't think they're terribly bright. One of the people that Trump put in on the Supreme Court was, um, he, he was accused of having attempted a rape of someone when he was in college. Jesus Christ. Yeah, they didn't care. They didn't care, and they just, they put him in. But it's not just that. It says, I, I knew a hundred lawyers who were just as qualified as he was yeah. to be on the Supreme Court. So it's not like, oh, we, this is the only hope we have. He was just, he's a, he's just, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm a member of the Supreme Court bar, but I don't have to practice there anymore. But these, he's a, let me be polite, a slime bucket. Uh, is he? 
Is the thing he's the sort of person that can really be well manipulated easily, and he's got he's like under the cusp of the the people who oh yeah would it be what stuff done if that makes sense if these like corruption and all that sort of stuff. No, it does, and in fact, uh, Rob Shank, who I mentioned, uh, once he kind of gave up his radical right credentials, actually testified to the House Judiciary Committee about how he was involved personally in trying to hook up major Republican donors with Supreme Court justices. He'd get them together, and he's repudiated that. And he, um, so he, he is a guy that, um, I don't know, maybe he'd come on your show. He's an interesting fellow. Yeah, but let's set it up. I'll have him one. Yeah. That's something fun. Yeah. I think uh, I think you'd like him because he he is a changed man. Oh, really? And yeah. He, I mean, he, he's the guy who said he wished he had listened to me 30 years. Oh, is that the same guy? Yeah, same guy. And, and But, I mean, and to be very public and to, and to talk about this outlandish connections that he would make between Republican high-dollar donors and sitting Supreme Court justices, it's, it's absolute disgrace because the Supreme Court, the last voice on anything, it's not a very good voice. It's just all, the politics everywhere, it's just, even the, uh, the fair, even the UK, yeah, so corrupted. There's so many people doing things for hidden agendas. You know, they're making things here for head plate to for their own personal gain. You know, I mean, our, our fucking politics here, our government's run by a bunch of dickheads, really. Let's be quite honest with you. You know what I mean? And this is why I love podcasting, Barry, because you can say <laughs> stuff and nobody's going to censor you. But you can say the pricks and dickheads and snobby. <laughs> That's right. Amazing. So I, so I love pod. I mean, podcasting is a great invention. I, I did one for about a year. Yeah. Um, but unlike this, this is a wonderful uh, way to do it. This this platform that you're using. But I had lots of problems, and then people would they get the time differences mixed up, and and then there were at the time eight hundred thousand of them, and uh, a lot of them, shall we say, aren't as quite as interesting as yours. Oh, don't, don't. <laughs> oh, don't you start doing it. Compliments will get you everywhere, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So I always like movies. I've seen every Spider-Man movie. I'm, just... a, big, I'm a big Marvel fan. I just could yeah, tell from absolutely. That's supposed yeah. to be, I don't know, guys, if you're listening to this, my big Marvel post about him as Spider-Man should be up in the wall, but it fell down. And just... It fell down. Yeah, because it's, um, it's, it's on, you know, these st- sticky things, you don't mess your wall up, so I'm not going to hammer nails into my wall. Right. So I thought right. to myself, I don't worry, because I just cannot be bothered painting it all over. It doesn't look, I don't like the hatchiness <laughs> of it. So I thought to myself, there must be a different way. So I found these little sticky things that you can get. Oh, yeah. You can stick to the back, you can put it on the wall. Perfect. <laughs> but it has to be flush. And then I didn't realise that it's above the radiator and wood. When it gets hot, likes to bend a little bit, doesn't it? It does. So now the back of it is a shape of a U. And it doesn't like standing up. So it's a bit useless. Random shit there for you, but my background is why it doesn't look great. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I had a when we moved to Massachusetts from Washington, um, you know, to gain all the things I mentioned. Um, we had somebody come in and hook up. Uh, I think you can see something like it, but a bookcase. And I have a lot of movie books and art books, really heavy books, 
and they put up the shelves and they didn't put them up very well. And one Sunday, I was so proud of myself putting all these books up. And then I heard everything fell out. And we have these little grandkids that often came over. It really would have hurt them because hundreds and hundreds of pounds, really big. <laughs> but they came and died. But they came and fixed it for nothing. Of course, that's. I'm. I'm not one of these sort of people. See, I'm like, I'm a stubborn bastard, Barry. I don't know if you know that. I'm a stubborn bastard. If I get flat pack something that needs to be assembled, I'm like, no, I can do that. And he says it has to be four men. No, I can do that myself <laughs> on my own. I'm yeah. balancing the shelving, you know, on top of my head, <laughs> trying to do this. Uh, I, I honestly, if somebody could video it, it'd be hilarious. It would just be literally. Oh, you can put it on YouTube. You get millions of views. Many times, it nearly get launched out of the window. I was, yeah. uh, I know, I live in a, a one-story apartment here with a balcony. Yeah. It was open, ready for that to get launched. It was going to go. Oh, shit. Then I, then I realized it was too heavy to pick up and launch it myself. I needed a pound. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I gave up the, um, we're having a porch put on out here. And um, they, um, I have not volunteered to be of help. That's I just guess. Sometimes it's easier for someone else to do it, isn't it? Absolutely. Maybe cheaper, too. And you don't get hit on the head with hundreds of yeah, yeah. of books. But, um, no, so, yeah, so my life uh, has been very, I find it very interesting. A lot of people who bought, bought the book, I should tell people how they can get it. it the yes. easiest way to get it, I don't know if you have, do you have Bitly over there? It's a, Bitly. Yeah. So, so it's a Bitly, and then, so it's B-I-T, period, L-Y, slash, Barry Lynn book. And then you can get it directly from the publisher, and you don't have to buy it for an even more expensive price at places like Amazon. Bastards. Okay. They are. They're so terrible. I mean, I didn't realize how bad they were until um, I was on some radio shows with some of the people that are trying to organize at Amazon. And, and the... The anti-worker sentiment at Amazon is absolutely horrible. I was I used to know somebody who used to work in the warehouse. Yeah, and one of the warehouses, and they actually they, they get times how long it takes them to go for like a toilet break. Yes, and if they're longer than like two or three minutes, they get literally like they get a strike against their name, and if yeah. you get three strikes, you're out. And it's like what? Yeah. 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 I can't lie to you. I eat a lot of shit. I eat a lot of processed stuff some days, a lot of McDonald's, a lot of that. Doesn't agree with my gut really that well. So yeah. halfway through the day, it starts to, you know, room, can I, you know, it starts to kind of, things go, things, there's no nice down there. I'm not, they want to leave. Yeah, it's time for them to go. And at a very quick pace as well. Exactly. I'm not going to spend three minutes. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a good no. 20 minute. That's a good 20 yeah. minute. Of course. I'd be sacked in the first day, Barry. <laughs> Yeah, well, then there was a movie called Nomadland. It was a book, and it, the book was a little more honest, but the movie just makes it look like all these people in America, they're traveling from one place to another. They're in their RVs. They stop and they get seasonal work, particularly around the holidays in December, and, and everything is great, but it's not. I mean, it was a, a total phony. No, nobody that I know who has worked at Amazon thinks well of it. They just want to know how they can get the hell out of it. As it's, there's, a, there's a few lawsuits going on over here because of it. 
if you like, you know, workers' compensations and uh, tribunals and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the government are actually starting to take notice of uh, everything that's going on. So that's an, on- that's an ongoing thing. Because they yeah. can, they're that big, they could just elongate it and just drag it out and drag it out for as long as short. Yeah. Now, the, the Federal Trade Commission, an agency in the United States, has just filed a lawsuit, yeah. an antitrust lawsuit against Amazon. But they do little things. I mean, if they like you to publish a book with them, you know, and or, or with one of the only four or five major publishers left in the United States, and they don't like independent presses like the one, this Blue Cedar Press that published my three books, right. and, and they don't treat you right. If they make a mistake in the characterization, I got a lot of pretty heavy hitter people who in advance of the book coming out, you know, I looked at it and wrote nice things about it, but several of them, uh, they, they misspelled the name when they- Oh, Jesus. And, and so you write them, uh, could you correct this name? Uh, and they never, they never get back to you and they never correct it. But I, I considered my life a very privileged one because I, here I am, 75, had been very shy, had wonderful opportunities, but wonderful opportunities because I actually wanted to help the people. It was not just an issue. You know, when somebody says they're going to fire me because I'm, I have an LGBTQ character in a book at my school and I'm putting it in the library, it hurts me. It hurts me. And I think the the people that get into pure politics, they're not as interested in the people as outsiders are. People who want to call, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, call you out when you do the wrong thing. And that's the way the world ought to work. People ought to call out government officials, even if they're theoretically, you're in the same party. If you do the wrong thing, you have to be called out. Exactly. And the more people do speak up, the herd mentality, one person can't do much, but more people do, the more change will happen. Absolutely. You can't do very much by yourself. You have to have a movement behind you. You have to get people uh, connected t- t- you know, to what you're doing. And, um, and you can't take credit for everything. I mean, I'd, you know, I was kind of embarrassed in parts of the book you know, because it, it, it sounds like I did everything. And I, in some cases I did, but in most cases you need a movement of people behind you. You need to form coalitions. And if you can get an occasional conservative on your side, if it's basically a liberal issue, go for it. Do it. Do it unapologetically because that's the way you make change. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with some of these people like Pat Buchanan, who ran for president in the United States, Oliver North, who, of course, got caught up in the um, Iran-Contra scandal. But these are people, you know, they're, they're friends of mine, and I did a lot of media with them. I worked with um, Pat Buchanan for about a year and a half every day on radio with Oliver North every Friday. On, on his radio show. And you also find sometimes that people have strange views 
that you don't find consistent with what you assume they they do. Um, Oliver North um, is one of the few people who's actually systematically pro-life. So he is he's against abortion, but he hates the death penalty, which we still impose in the United States. It's coming back. And most people, oh, they, they want to protect fetuses. When it comes to some guy who may or may not even have committed a murder, oh, well, you know, we, we don't want to put him in jail for 25 years. It costs too much. Let's execute him. There's a <laughs> rush to judgment on killing people. It's just, it's appalling. I mean, it really is. But North is one of those people. I used to call him up occasionally. He was um, he was the uh, third most significant Republican fundraiser. Yeah. So governors would take his calls, and they wouldn't take a call from me, but they'd take them from him. When I found out he was against the death penalty under any circumstance, I'd call him up. I'd say, you know, there's going to be an execution. There's a governor, a Republican governor. Would you mind calling him up? And and he would do that. Brilliant. You know. It's good to have people in high places sometimes, isn't it? It is. And then, you know, I, right before the book came out, I was talking both the same week to North, Oliver North, and to Ron Kovic. Ron Kovic is a peace activist. He... um he was the subject of the Tom Cruise movie, Born on the Fourth of July. Right. And he's as far to the left as you can possibly get. <laughs> but I just found it interesting, because I do consider both of them friends. I mean, as in, would you go to their funerals? And I right. would. I would. Cool. Yeah. Cool. But, you know, you can't, that can't be your goal, is not to just form these phony alliances. That's what political hacks do. You have to find people who care enough to actually do the hard work of helping you if it's one of those issues they agree with you about. And most people just give up. They don't know how to do that, but they want to do it. So, what, so, it so what's next in the, 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 the life and body? What you got? You got any sequels of the books coming up? Are you got anything on the pipeline? I'm... Um, we we might do a second edition of these books because they uh, they have been selling reasonably well without you know much uh, I mean my advertising is exclusively on podcasts on my mailing lists on radio shows that I still do and um, so I don't have any imminent plan to do more than maybe add a few stories I mean there's a story about. Kirk Douglas. It didn't make it into the book. Do you know who Kirk Douglas is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, well, yeah. massively famous. I think much. Yeah. So I was in um, I was in NBC on one of those late night shows, and uh, the have makeup. Everybody has makeup. I'm in my makeup room. Kirk Douglas walks in. He says, "Where is that guy that is against draft registration?" And as soon as he asked the question, I said, here I am. And then they brought TV cameras in because I think they honestly felt he was going to punch me in the face. Seriously. He didn't, but he made these comments during his segment of the late night show that they had to apologize for at the end. <laughs> so, but 
Yeah. Fuck, it's mental, isn't it? Man, saying that, that's a good thing to think getting punched in the face by Clark. It could have been. I mean, I almost wish he had done it. But, um, <laughs> you know, he, but they, I mean, he, he clearly, he calmed down when the cameras came in. Because I guess he, he just wanted to be known as Spartacus forever. That's it. <laughs> so far. But, uh, yeah, but, um, so you get so, the, the your second edition of the books. Then you got some more stories coming out. That should be yeah. interesting. Yeah. Be and, uh, you know, I still do, um, as I said, I, I do a lot of podcasts. This is this is more fun. Not just doing this to butter you up. Yeah. But this is more fun than the sum of them. But it will them. Do you know what I've seen? I've mentioned, I've seen this. Is, I'm, with this podcast, as I say, it's a conversation. It's a chat. It's a nice and Of chill. course it is. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people been doing like these sort of like kind of interviews with people and getting people guests on and speaking. Yeah. And oh my God, it's so robotic. It's so <laughs> no. It's like question, answer, question, answer. No. Just let the conversation go, you know what I mean? Just of let it course. go. And it's so much easier. It's, it's so easy to listen to that way as well. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, when you listen to the average member of Congress here in the United States, um, they can't answer any questions, even the simplest one. Who are you going to vote for for speaker? Well, you'll know when I cast my vote. You know, that would be... Politics answer. When I was a host of radio shows, I would... If somebody gave that answer, I would never have them back on. I want people who actually have something to say, who believe in something, and who are not afraid to tell me what they believe. But man, the media, I, I wish I could say that it was great, it was improving, but all those networks I used to be on, what a shit. It's, it's pretty pathetic now. I mean, it really is. It is. Like, well, fingers crossed, it hopefully gets better and people actually kind of stand up for the what's right and all that sort of stuff and tell these like kind of corrupt knobbeds to fuck off. Yeah. In a nice way. And in a nice way. In a nice way. It's, um, the, the other thing, you know, I'm a big movie fan. I told you that. Yeah. And did they, they opened a movie theater. I just moved to Massachusetts about a year ago. And, um, uh, they opened a movie theater here that is absolutely the best theater I've ever been in, in the United States. It's just, it's wonderful. It's one of these showcase cinemas. I don't know if they are across the pond or not but it's it's this beautiful luxurious seats a, a kind of a a kind of a wall between you and the people in front of you so you can't see them and that's good so if they want comfy seats you got we got the vibrating ones as well oh the, no we just service and all that sort of stuff come and see it great I did. My wife and I did go to see a movie at one of those theaters, and the, the, she will never go back. I will never go back. But it wasn't in sync, so that, that there'd be like water coming at you. No water on the screen. It just spraying you in the face. Why do you want that? And the rocking. It didn't rock in conjunction with anything going on in the film. It just would written random rock. So we ended up sitting in the aisle. For I remember that movie. Feeling bad. Yeah. Drenched. Drenched. Sick Came everywhere because the wind been hitting you. The wind has been hitting you. So I've been so, up by a cinema. No. But, um, <laughs> yeah. 
And and the other thing the other thing I, I recommend to people who are interested in activism is um work with the people and don't expect them don't expect everybody to do the things you want them to do without being paid for it. One of the things in the last couple of years we did at Americans United for Separation of Church and State was had concerts. The first year we had a concert in every state on the same weekend. And um, it was very difficult to do that. I got a wonderful singer-songwriter named Katie Curtis, who kind of is highly respected in the singer-songwriter community to kind of help make this all happen. It it ended with, um, well, with Russell Brand. Russell, Russell came and Sarah Silverman, another you know, comic genius, and a couple of singers, and um, was in Los Angeles. And I, one of the things I did was I'd call, if it's a big venue, you'd call them. I'd call them and I'd go, uh, how are the tickets going? And I called this place in Los Angeles and they said, we have some $1,000 meet and greet tickets left. And I thought, man, that's all they have left, $1,000 meet and greets? And that means all the $25 seats and 100 everything has been sold. When I got there that day, um, I went to the box office. I said, I'm the guy that's kind of producing this and how the ticket's going. She goes, oh, we got a lot of tickets. I said, you have a lot of tickets. When I called, they said they only had $1,000 meet and greets. Then I called a couple of my friends in Los Angeles and they said, yeah, we wanted to go, but we can't afford $1,000. I said, I don't blame you. But um, yeah, so uh, I don't know what went wrong with it, but it was it was a very weird evening, I must say. But, and Russell's, you know, in kind of problematic place now, but I, I don't know what the truth is, but he was, he, he takes, he takes a lot of things very seriously. And that's what I liked about him. Yeah. And I was very happy. He was willing. I think he did it for nothing, actually. <laughs> but you can't ask people to do, you can't ask somebody to give up a play in a major city if somebody's going to play in London, for example, you can't say, oh, well, just do this for me. It, I'm, ha I'm saving puppy dogs. and Just do it for nothing. You can't do that because they got other things to do. They, they got one chance at a big show in a big theater in a London or a New York City or Washington, D.C. And you, and you got to work it out with them. And everybody wins. Some Too many people just go, well... We're not going to pay them. Uh, they should want to do this because they're on our side. Yeah, but you got to eat too. I can just go eat too. That's funny. <laughs> so, so, on that note, Barry, I think we'll wrap it up there. But it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Noise, terrific. It's been great to chat to you. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it as well. I just say, guys, listen. Obviously, uh, we'll put the link for uh, uh, Barry's books underneath in the description. Go and pick him up. Have a look at them, read them, share them to your friends and tell everyone about them. I'm sure you'll enjoy them. You got it. Thank you.